I'm a good boy. I was raised to not use four-letter words. And I'm sure you were probably raised not to use four-letter words as well. But if someone cannot communicate correctly, you know those people that it's almost like they turn uh, cursing into a native language. In other words, they're really good at it. And it just seems like that uh, there is there's no other adjective except these foul words that we're not supposed to even mention in church. Well, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, I've met so many uh, believers, especially new Christians, that uh, God comes into their life and he saves them. And then all of a sudden they realize these words they've been saying are not glorifying. And so it's funny to watch them slip up and say something and feel like such a huge failure. But then you have to tell them about God's grace and forgiveness. And then eventually you see the Holy Spirit move in their lives and they discontinue the foul language. Well, don't worry, this is not a sermon on cussing necessarily, but what's amazing today is, is that today Christians are making no effort in stopping the foul language. They are making no effort in sounding, sounding different than everybody else that they're around. And there are, are some believers that can use four-letter words uh, fluently and not feel bad about it. How is that, that Christians can can say words that are not right or do activities that are seen as sinful or nothing else questionable and, and do all of these things that they shouldn't do and still wear the badge as a Christian. Well, the thing is, is that if, if you are struggling with what you say out of your mouth and, and you have got a problem you know, saying uh, bad words, whether you are in here or you know of a friend or maybe someone that might be listening by our podcast, uh, the thing is, is that there, there, I'm sure there are probably bigger things to worry about than what comes out of our mouth. But I want you to understand something, is that when we think about four-letter words, we know that they're not good, they're not beneficial, they're not uplifting one another. And the thing is, is if, if you or someone you know has a problem with using four-letter words, then the problem is not with their tongue. The problem is with their heart. Jesus, he put it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. If you want to know what a person's heart is like, just listen to them talk. For five minutes. If you want to know if Jesus is the Lord of your, their life, they don't have to tell you that. You'll be able to tell it in their speech. You'll be able to tell it in their actions. But the four-letter word I'm going to talk about today is one that you can say in church, but yet Christians today refuse to hear this word. Just like a little child that puts their fingers in their ears and they say, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. This four-letter word is a word that God commands us to be but it's something that many Christians today refuse. And that is holy. To be holy. H-O-L-Y. For some reason today, it has even become acceptable in the eyes of some Christians uh, to use four-letter words or to, to act in a way that would not be seen as a Christian. But the world holds the weight of eternity in the meaning of the word holy. 
Believers, they hear this word. Some believers are singing about this word this morning. And and many even use the word holy in their prayers. The word holy is not an unfamiliar word. Has anyone never heard the word holy before? I think everyone has heard the word holy before at some point because believers and non-believers alike know at least at the minimum that when you hear the word holy, it is a descriptor for God. It means something about God because God is holy. And so the process of becoming holy should become our life pursuit. From the moment we become a Christian... Until the moment we face Jesus in eternity. Holy is not something that we hope to strive for and attain and then move on. Holiness, the word holy, and applying holy in our life is a daily effort. And we are not alone in this pursuit because the good news is that God is with us. But we must put forth some effort. So what does holy actually mean? In in the most basic form, holy means to be set apart for God's purpose. A big word for that would be consecrated. We are consecrated. We are are set apart. It's almost like uh, some of you probably have those dishes that you got that, that you never eat off of unless it's special occasions, whether it be your your china that you got when you're married or or maybe it was somebody that left it to you, but but nobody eats off of those things unless something's really special. Y'all got something like that in your house? Might not be dishes, it might be no back in the day, some of you still have this. You had your, your den, but you also had the living room. And I've said this before, but the living room back in the day was where the kids weren't allowed. And uh that that way when the preacher came over you have a nice place that you get clean and and everything is nice. So, so that room was consecrated. Those plates are consecrated. They are set apart for some higher purpose. Let me tell you something, church. Let me tell you something, believer. God has called you to be holy. He has called you to be set apart for His purpose. You are His china. You are His living room. You are His prized possession. He calls you holy. And you are set apart for God's purpose. But still... The word holy in today's understanding, it differs. Uh, the concept of holiness may seem like an outdated church word to this generation because when some hear the word holy, they think of a priest in a, 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 a very adorned robe and big hats and they're, they're chanting Latin and just doing all of these things and they think, oh yeah, that's holy. Well, then on the other side of that, some people think of, of the holy as someone being better than or thinking that they're, they're more spiritual than me. Someone who is high and mighty, you know, that kind of person that if it rains, they might drown because their nose is so far in the air. Because when someone says, I am holy, as Christ has made me holy, it almost makes it sound like you're saying you're better than somebody else. But the word holy occurs in the Bible in various forms over 600 times in the Bible. That would tell me that being holy is a pretty important thing. And as a matter of fact, the book of Leviticus, the entire book of Leviticus is dedicated to the word holy. Did you know that God commands you to be holy? This is not an assumed thing. 
It's directly stated in Leviticus 11.44. It says, For I am Yahweh your God, so you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. God says, Be holy for I am holy. He wants you to be set apart today. He wants you to be different from everybody else. But why do Christians not like the word holy? Number one, Christians do not like the word holy because it demands sacrifice. Nobody likes the word holy. They don't want to hear the word holy. They don't want to hear sermons on being holy because it means it requires sacrifice. But i got to tell you something. Is sacrifice always a bad thing? Could sacrifice even be a good thing? Romans 12 Verse 1 says this, it says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Some translations say this is your spiritual act of worship. But Paul is telling us that we are to be a living sacrifice. And yes, sacrifice is tough when you look at the cross and you look at what Jesus did so that we can even be here today and that we can be worshiping him because he has forgiven us of our sins because of his blood. But how can sacrifice be a good thing? How could becoming holy as a believer benefit you today? Because that's what today's American church wants. They want to hear a sermon that says, how is this going to benefit me in about three points in about 20 minutes? But I'm here to tell you the process of holiness. For example, a school. Take a school, for example, whatever school you like. A school can give an athlete a coach. They can give an athlete training. And they can give an athlete facilities and tools and opportunities to compete in a race. But it's up to the athlete to run the race. It's up to the athlete to run in the race. And so do athletes make sacrifices? Sure, many of you, or maybe some of you, maybe a few of you, were probably watching the Masters uh, this weekend in Augusta, or you know, all these golfers. That, how in the world do you make good money playing golf? There are men that do that, and women that do that. But whether it be golf or track or football or or whatever it may be, these athlete athletes they sacrifice to be where they are. Well, what do I mean? Well, their free time is non-existent. They don't have free time. Their diets and the choices of the food they eat no longer become theirs, but that of a training schedule. And their social time is pretty much gone because they spend all of their time at the gym or in training. And they eat so they can compete and get better at their sport and represent their team well. I'm here to tell you something. If you make a sacrifice to be holy, to give God glory, And it changes the way you act. And it's more than just you coming to church, but it is you actually engaging in and trying to become holy as God has called you to be. There is going to be sacrifice, but it's going to be a good thing because just like an athlete, when you sacrifice, it makes you better. It makes you more like God. Well, 
Here's the thing, is that you and I, we celebrated Jesus is on the cross. We, we celebrated Jesus on the cross for the past couple of weeks. Uh, and as believers all around the world, people celebrated the Easter season of, of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and the resurrection that makes it possible so one day uh, we can celebrate eternity because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and through the empty tomb. So we celebrated Jesus' cross. But you know what holiness says? Holiness says you can celebrate the cross, but it's time for you to carry it. You can celebrate the cross. You can sing praises to me. You can pray. You can praise the blood about the sins that it forgives, but it doesn't give you a license to sin more. If we are going to celebrate the cross, we have to carry the cross. And that means sacrifice. Luke 9.23 puts it this way, and this is not my opinion. This is Jesus' exact words. He says, if anyone, that means you, and that means me. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Take up his cross daily and follow me. I want to talk to you about two different types of sacrifice. There's external sacrifices and there's internal sacrifices. For example, the the external sacrifices deal with the things that we do, the actions that we do, things that you can measure, that you can see. But internal sacrifices, it deals with not who we are, but whose we are. Who is in the pilot seat of our life? Who is at the center of our lives? If it's your children, your life is going to be surrounded with busy schedules and a lot of frustration and a lot of discipline. If it is a hobby, you're going to spend a lot of time on that hobby and not with a lot of other things. If in the center of your life is your job, one day that job is going to end, and then where is your life going to be? The center of our lives as believers is Jesus Christ. And when he sits on the throne in our heart, he brings everything else into line. Because external sacrifice is what we do, and internal sacrifice is whose we are. Because, folks, we cannot base holiness on the things that we do or don't do. That's just like I said when we first started. If someone claims to be a Christian and they let a bad word slip out, Does it mean they're not a Christian? No, it means they let a bad word slip out. If there is a person that has never uttered a bad word in their lives, off of their lips, but do not know Jesus Christ, they are not Christians. They are just seen as a good person. Because, listen, holiness is not, and I I emphasize the word not, holiness is not a result of not doing bad things. Like smoking or drinking or cursing. There are a lot of people that don't do these things. I remember the old saying that you don't drink, don't dip, don't chew, and don't date girls that do. Amen? Don't do these things because they're bad. Some of you are old enough to remember when you went to the picture shows. Kids, they call those movies nowadays. But you couldn't go to the picture shows because they were evil. Women couldn't wear pants because they were evil. And, oh, man, you can't play cards. If that's the case, I'm in trouble. Because I remember when I was a good old Baptist college at Charleston before they named it uh, Charleston Southern University. And my summer spent 
consisted of, sun, of uh, summer school, working a camp, and playing spades with my Christian friends in their dorms. But if, if we focus on the things that we do or we don't do, holiness is not a result of doing bad things. And the tendency is there are people that they feel like, and you know, I'm not like those other people. I don't say those words. I don't think those things. And I just, I'm not like that. There is almost a sense of, of piety in that. There is almost a sense of, well, legalism. And if you look in the Bible, there, there were a lot of people that did the right things for the wrong reasons. And their biggest critic was Jesus. The Pharisees, they had everything in order. They had all the laws. They, they, they knew exactly what to do. They had everything in their minds. They were doing it right. But Jesus said, you've lost track. You were legalistic and you were blind. The backlash of this occurs when people who do need to know Jesus and they do need to have the support of a church. The problem is, is they are the ones that are smoking, that are drinking, that have tattoos or have piercings and they don't have any clothes to wear to church. I've talked with people even here in good old home and park to say, I'm not going to come to church because I smoke. Or I'm not going to come to church because I don't have clothes. Like they're not holy enough to be here. And like because we're not like that, we're more holy than them. Folks, we've got to be very careful that if we focus on what we don't do, we are going to lose sight of those that do it. We do need to become holy, but we do not need to become legalistic because it's funny. Those people, and, and there are some people that they call themselves fruit inspectors. You know, they're going to examine the fruit of other people to make sure that they're living the Christian life. But I got news for you. If you're ultra judgmental against everybody else, usually those people are the ones that seem self-righteous and they are quick to point out the sin in other people's lives while they have Huge sins in their own lives. Are you one of those people? Is holiness a set of rules and standards to where if you act a certain way, you are holy? No, if you don't do bad things, it just means you're, in the world's eyes, a good person. But don't give up. Let's say you are a Christian and you're trying to be holy and you've messed up. I've got news for you. You can have heart. Romans 6, 14 says it like this. He says, For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. You are not under law. You are under grace. Look, if I were to, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but if you could raise your hand, anybody in here who has been perfect this morning, and if they could raise their hand, I would want to come back and talk to you and ask you how in the world you've done it. If anybody could say, preacher, this message, I, I can identify with it because I am holy. I'm the holiest today of everybody in my pew. Just ask them. It doesn't work like that. We all sin. We all fall short. But this process of becoming holy is not one of perfection, but it is one of purpose. It is one of pursuit. It is one that you do not have to do alone because God gives you and I grace. The second reason people don't like the word holy 
is, is why does the word holy repel so many? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It says this, You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. I saw it the other day. I think it might have been a Wednesday. It's pretty much any time I eat lunch. But, but I'd eat somewhere, and, and sure enough, that food was so good, it gets on my shirt. Y- y'all have that problem? Or what you eat gets on your shirt? I don't know why. Maybe it doesn't have as far to drop, you know what I mean? But anyway, that stain will get on your shirt. And I'm thinking, well, uh, I can go ahead and just wear this shirt for Wednesday night. But, oh, no, there's that big stain there. Surely nobody will notice. Sure enough, if I were to wear it, someone would say, hey, preacher, you enjoy your lunch? I'll see it on your shirt. <laughs> I'm sure that would happen. No, what I have to do, I have to say, oh, great, you clutch, you got stains on your shirt. Take it off and put on a clean one. When you have sin in your life, if you have never become a Christian before, because of Jesus Christ, and through accepting Him as your Savior and Lord, you can take off this dirty coat called sin and put on righteousness, which is because of Jesus Christ. But now, believer, those of you that have been Christians some longer than I've been alive, understand, you get stains on your shirt. You get stains on your soul. And you can either ignore them, you can act like nobody sees them, or you can do what the Bible says. Take them off and put on His righteousness. Every day we have to do that. We have to confess before the Lord our sins. And we have to put on His righteousness. Because that is what is becoming holy. But people are repelled by the word holy when they have the wrong focus. If people look at holy and they have it as a me focus, this is what this is going to sound like. If you have a a me focus toward holiness, it's going to sound like this. How does this sin affect me and how can I stop it? Look, you're asking the wrong question. You've got the wrong focus. If you're saying, how does this sin affect me and how can I stop it? You can't stop it on your own. Another might be, how do I fix my failures? Or how do I become a better person? Or, or what will people think if they find out about this sin? Everything is centered around, what about me? That kind of holiness is empty, it's frustrating, and there are many Christians on the road of life and their journey of their spiritual life that have been sidelined and that are in rest areas because they have tried to live up to holiness in their own might and failed every time. They have burned out. They have left the church. They have left serving Jesus. They have traded a relationship with Jesus to a religion of just going through the motions. And holiness is nothing but a word to them. And it repels them to even think about being holy. But if you have a right, a right focus of holiness, it sounds a little bit like this. And David was a master of this. The, the best 
psalm ever written, in my opinion, is in Psalm 51, where this occurs after he was broken, after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. This is what the proper mode of a focus sounds like. It says, my sin is against God himself. My sin is an offense to God. It is a stench in the nostrils of God. My sin shows a blatant disregard for everything God has ever done for me. He created me. He's provided for me. He's protected for me. He saved me. He gives me eternal security. Yet my sin goes in direct opposition to that that says, you've given me so much, but I don't care. I want it my way. When we sin, I want you to understand something. Yes, there are consequences of sin. But when we sin, we have broken God's laws that were put there in a place to protect us. When I was young, I thought, oh, here comes the preachers. Here comes all that thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do, not do that. And being a Christian is a bunch of thou shalt nots. When I go back and I look at thou shalt nots, you know what they also say? Thou shalt not have a broken marriage. They shall not have insecurity. They shall not be raised to know that I don't love them. There were benefits of those shall nots. Every bit of laws and and requirements that God gives us in the Bible are not to harm us or keep us from something, but to protect us and to provide for us. That's just like when uh, a, a mother becomes pregnant and, the, and they have a child and they decide to, to nurse the baby. It's very important that the mother eat balanced meals, nutritious meals, and good meals so that the baby will get that nutrition, right? That's the way that works. Well, I'm here to tell you, God has given you the perfect nutrition you need if we will simply take it. And when we say no to holiness in our lives, we blatantly disrespect and rebel against the authority God has upon us. Well, holiness is walking in obedience, but it's not walking in victory. Look, every athlete is not going to win every race. Every Christian is not going to be victorious every day. But we keep moving. We keep pushing. And we keep trusting. And finally, we see that holiness means taking personal responsibility. Holiness means taking personal responsibility. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. And before we get there, holiness is your responsibility to God not the responsibility of the fault of others. Let me say that just one more time. Holiness is your responsibility to God, not the fault or responsibility of others. If you are not where you want to be with the Lord, quit blaming other people, man up, woman up, and take ownership of it. If you are not as holy as you would like to be, Look, we live in an age of, of talk show psychology. How many talk shows do we have to see where they're always blaming somebody else for their sin? Somebody else's problem, they're not being holy. If you're not walking with God, it's your responsibility. 
God's not going to hold me accountable for you not choosing to serve Him. He will hold me accountable for what I preach or what I don't preach. He will hold me accountable for my example. But He will hold you accountable for the decisions that you make. The word holy, the the reason Christians don't rejoice in that word is because it reminds them it is their responsibility. Your process of becoming holy begins with you taking responsibility for your own sin. And folks, sin, it must be taken seriously. But the thing is, is that we become really good at rationalizing our sin and placing it in different boxes. Kind of like if you were to have three boxes in your heart. Well, this is a sin I've done. This is a small sin. I didn't lie, but I didn't tell them the whole truth. Well, I didn't gossip. I just told them what everybody else knows. Or uh, I've got a bad habit, but it's not as bad as that other person's bad habit. See, we rationalize our sins. Then there's the bigger sins, whether it be cheating on a test or cheating on someone or, or speeding or, or shoplifting or whatever. Oh, those are bigger sins, right? Then you've got the biggies, murder, rape, stealing, and other things that can land us in jail. And we can all say, well, my little sin's not as bad as those of others. Let me ask you something. Can anybody show me in the Bible where it says we are to compare and measure up to other people around us? Is it anywhere in the Bible? So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of like, you know, me comparing myself to, to someone that's just like me. Or, or we'll find somebody that's worse than us so that we can feel better about ourselves. We learned that on the playground as kids, didn't we? We thought we learned that if we can put down somebody else, it makes us look better, right? So we thought. No, it just made us look pathetic. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And we are told to not tolerate sin today, folks. A sin is a sin is a sin. And we are all sinners. As much as when I was a kid and I stole a pack of gum from the drugstore and my mama marched me right back in there and made me tell them and I was crying and I felt sorry about it and I got punished to that person that killed someone just the other night somewhere. A sin is a sin is a sin. Sin is falling short of God's glorious standards. But we have to take our own sin seriously. Don't worry so much about the sin of others. Worry about your own. Again, let's take Jesus' word for it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We must call sin a sin because God's law forbids it. Don't, do not compromise. Because compromise leads to disaster. If you have let little sins creep into your life, do not compromise. Let me show you this illustration. Do you realize this is the 30th anniversary that the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded? 
I can remember sitting in my class and they were they were showing that on a TV. I remember it as clear as day. It was Mr. Tyler's class. And J.A. Chalkley Elementary School, they, that's back in the day when they had the big carts with the big, huge TVs on top of them and, and the VCRs that were about as big as a suitcase. And they rolled them in there and they showed the space shuttle launching. I'll never forget that image of that space shuttle exploding. It was awful. It was horrendous to see those astronauts lose their lives in such a profound way. What caused that wreck? It took them years to own up to this. But you see the man on the left? His name is Bob Ebeling, and he just recently passed away, but he was an engineer with the space shuttle program, and he warned them. He was among a few people that warned the bigwigs at NASA, that warned the politicians that if they were to launch that space shuttle where the temperature was below, it was like 51 degrees. He said, if you launch in this cold weather, the O-rings that go around those side booster rockets will not be pliable. They will be tough. And so they will leak. So you've got to wait until it's warmer. And then the big higher-ups said, oh, no, no. We have got too much riding on this. We've got to launch it. So they compromised the mission by knowing and hearing what Bob and the other engineers said and they launched it anyway. And look at what the response was. Bob Ebeling spent two-thirds of his life regretting that day and blaming himself for that crash and for the lies of those astronauts. He even went so far to tell people God made a mistake when he created me. He held that for so many years. But in recent days, I got the story from National Public Radio. And they said in recent days, new discoveries have come out. They kind of put him at ease before he passed away. But, but NASA, they sent this statement. They said, saying that the deaths of the seven Challenger astronauts served to remind the space agency to remain vigilant and listen up to those like Mr. Ebeling who have the courage to speak up. In other words, they were saying it wasn't his fault. The engineers told us that we shouldn't launch, but we did it anyway. The Bible tells you not to sin, but you do it anyway. A little compromise here. That voice from the garden where the serpent says, surely God didn't say that. He did say that. And if you're not careful, the least little compromise will end up and disaster. But understand this. The word holy, church, and Christian, the word holy is not a dirty word. The word holy, look at it this way. The word holy is a partnership. The word holy is a partnership. And what that partnership means is that God gives you his best to be your best. And the process of becoming a living sacrifice, as Paul tells us in Romans, is that you give God your best to be his best. Now, we'll be unpacking holiness for the next couple of weeks. And so I encourage you to take this trip with me because understand, this is not me preaching at you. I'm having to apply this myself. 
So we will learn together, we will grow together, and we will honor God together as we seek to become more holy. Let's pray.